Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to the Know Your Gear live podcast number 261, episode 261 episodes. I hope you guys are having a fantastic Friday and I hope you had a good week as well. We are going to be talking about guitar stuff today and and I can already see a lot of people came early and left questions and subjects. I appreciate that very, very much. And uh, let's see, what should we do? Should we get right into the show or should we, we should do some soft talk like, you know, hey, what's going on? Nothing. (laughs) You know how you usually, you got to, you know, just wait for everybody to log on. I think um, there's 164 already watching. I think that's good. Let's go ahead and start with that and see where that takes us. Um, You know, to be honest, uh, there's some some important stuff I want to talk about in a very, very, uh, very, uh, Right now, let's talk about it right now. I'm going to share some stuff with you, and uh, uh, that is a subject that I think is concerning. At least it seems a little concerning. We're going to talk about it, share the, my my thoughts with you, and then we'll go from there. So, uh, what I'm going to share with you right now is my reverb screen. Now, this is what you're looking at. Is this is my personal reverb account and items that I have clicked to watch. These are all, as you see, ended listings. In other words, these are all sold. What you're seeing here is a Klon Centaur pedal, uh, a supposed real one, sold for $1,967. Interestingly enough, though, within the last couple days or even hours, oh, look, another real one had sold for $1,967. And then if you look again, here's another one that, again, I don't, we're going to talk about whether they're fake or not in a second. Here's another one that it's sold uh, for $2,199. Now, if you also look in here, you're going to see a Gibson Custom Shop Murphy Lab 1959 Les Paul that you could have bought because it already sold for $1,100. Um, the Axis looks like it could be legit, but at $2,000 seemed a little low for it. This Ernie Ball Music Man Family Reserve, this is not the Sterling, $788.44. Here is a Paul Reed Smith McCarty 594 Yellow Tiger for $1,600. And again, I'm not saying anything yet. Uh, I found this uh, Fender American Professional Strat for $683. I found this uh, PRS Custom 22 for $1,500. Here's a Gibson Les Paul Deluxe 70s Gold Top for $1,300. Here's another American Professional for $722. So, and... um, And if you notice, the thing that's interesting about these is the majority of them, as you can see, and again, I'm not trying to pick on the buyers. I don't know if the buyers are actually not like this buyer is the same buyer, but our seller, I should say, but Germany, Germany, here's United Kingdom, United Kingdom. There's one from Ireland. Um, uh, But noticing a lot of trend here, Germany, Germany, uh, Australia, Germany, (laughs) right? Here's Costa Rica. And then the rest are down below. These are just ones I've been watching that were personal. Um, so, you know, I sent a message last night and I, I sent it to my patrons. So they had it too. I sent it to reverb and I also contacted reverb today and said, uh, Hey, I'm seeing something strange guitars and amps pedals getting listed, not amps pedals and guitars getting listed for a fraction of what they're going for all coming from Europe, basically, uh, or places in Europe, mostly Germany though. And all, of course, selling in within seconds because everybody's like, oh, I can get a Klon Centaur that's $8,000 for under two grand. And uh, um, and 
I just want to alert everybody about it. If I saw one, in fact, so you know, I organically uh, found these. I didn't wasn't looking for anything. I, as you, I've told you guys many times, I like to watch on Reverb new listings. So I look at whatever's been. Uh, so if I'm sitting at home and I get my phone out uh, on my Reverb app, I literally go to new listings and look at what's being just listed. I find that if I'm going to find something cool and get a good deal on it, it's always going to be just as it recently listed, as as I did this week. This week, I bought a new guitar, new to me. It's going to, it's used. And the seller, it was a great guitar, a great price. I didn't even send him an offer. I even told him, I said, hey, I'm not even going to send you an offer. You're offering a great price. I'll just take it. And, um, and uh, through watching these, I started noticing like this, oh, that was weird. You know, like one of them kind of like, well, it's probably a fake Les Paul, something odd. Then I'm like, oh, that's that's odd. Another Klon Centaur for under two grand. Oh, wait, another guitar for a fraction of what they go for. That's strange. Um, and when you see it all coming from one place, it makes you wonder if there's a scam going on. And I know with Reverb, there is some uh, buyer protections, which are uh, the seller, when you buy something from Reverb right now, uh, the seller doesn't get paid or sent the payment from Reverb until they ship. So they have to ship it, either provide the tracking number or put in the, the stuff on Reverb. But that doesn't protect you, I guess, if they send you an empty box. And again, I'm not saying this is going to happen or this is what's happening. I want you as my community to be aware that this is an issue. Um... I'm sure uh, what Reverb said the appropriate response is, is to go into the um, auction itself. And uh, there's an icon or a button. So they want you, there's a way that you can basically click that you have a concern about this product. Okay. Um, and the only problem I had, and I could be totally wrong. And if you guys find it, please share with everybody. And I'll keep looking. Cause again, I haven't seen it, which is once it was purchased, I didn't see a way to say anything. You know what I mean? And I know that seems silly if it's been purchased, why worry about it? But I'm worried because of the volume is what it is. And especially right now, there's been more online fraud as recently that I've noticed everywhere. It's always been a constant, but it's really going rampant everywhere. Um, if you guys remember, the channel had a little bit of problem. All channels were having this problem where they were constantly hitting you guys in the comment sections, trying to get you guys to, to, to uh, you know, respond to them and do all this stuff. I've since blocked and fixed all of that. I'd love to tell you how I did it. If you guys have a YouTube channel and you, you reach out to me uh, specifically, how did I basically get successfully get it to where you guys aren't getting hit by those people anymore. I will share with you. I will not share publicly because I don't want, I'm sure they'll figure it out on their own too, how I'm doing it. And, uh, and I'm sure they'll circumvent me soon enough anyways. But right now there's nobody being, you're not being spammed other than on the live show. I can't control it as much on the live show, but on the, on the, on the videos, I can definitely control it. It gets blocked out pretty fast and it gets locked out. Um, so like I said, so much going on right now, uh, already creepy. What's you see on all these other platforms. Uh, but reverb is definitely, <laughs> that's just wacky. So hopefully, and also that's the other reason I was hoping to do this. You know, as you know, the podcast usually gets a hundred thousand uh, streams or so. And then the show live show gets about 30,000 views, maybe sometimes 40, 50,000 views. So hopefully if the show does well, uh, you know, the reverb, somebody from reverb might watch me talk right now and go, well, if they're talking about it, maybe we should get out there and get on it. So again, um, just be aware that, like I said, reverb did say that you can go into an auction when you see something like that and apparently click something to, to alert them. Uh, and it, in the, in the, uh, on the page. So if you see stuff like that, I just tell you guys, be weary, please be weary of it. Uh, 
you know, the saying is, if it's too good to be true, uh, that's just way too crazy. And I'll, I, to, I told you guys this, I've done videos on the past about, you know, fraudulent, uh, fraudulent strings, fake guitars. And I told you guys, uh, learning, uh, learning over the years, what I learned from a fraud, uh, officer, you know, someone who actually did fraud, uh, taught me that the best fraud, <laughs> the best scam, uh, it, it, uh, it attacks, or I shouldn't say attacks, the best scams uh, kind of target your greed, your, you know, right, the individual person's greed. So what it is, is it, you know, like, oh man, you know, two grand for a clon, they're selling for eight grand. If I buy this, I'll flip it for four and double my money like that, you know, and that's what they're really, that's what scammers usually lock onto is someone's, you know, everyone's got a little bit of a, you know, a little demon in them, you know, and then sometimes the greed demon comes out and you're like, oh, I can just turn a little profit and he used to be the wiser and it'll prey on that. So there you, there you go. Um, yeah, but there you go. I just did that as, like I said, more of a public announcement, uh, public, uh, you know, talk about it. Please guys uh, share uh, with your communities. I've uh, also, I reached out to some of my friends last night, obviously besides the patrons too. And some of my patron, uh, friends sent me back that I guess on the forums, there's been other things like this on Reverb. So just, uh, <laughs> I'm not old, I'm vintage, said, send me $100 and I'll teach you the secret of avoiding getting scammed, right? That's genius, right? Right there. Um, so just like I said, please, please uh, just be cautious out there, um, especially right now. Normally I wouldn't, really hyper focus on this but as i told you guys um and i'm gonna i'm gonna share something a, a, a viewer sent me this week um in a second i'm gonna get, go to my screen real quick um i've been telling you the use prices have been coming way down and one of you reached out and uh i apologize his name is Thomas. Uh, Tom, I didn't ask. Uh, Thomas is just the name. That's all we need to know. Uh, Thomas sent me an email and he basically said that Thomas, I'm going to give you the short version of this email. Thomas said that he was watching the shows and I had mentioned that if you want deals on Reverb, you know, if you think the prices are high, go ahead and watch items like I'm watching items. Watch items that you're interested in and see what happens. And a lot of times in this market, because it's been softening so much, you're getting offers. He basically said, hey, he put, he wanted a Fender Mustang PJ bass and uh, he puts some, you know, he put some, he watched a couple items and one was $850. They essentially within a short period of time sent him an offer for $789. And then he responded with, would you take seven? And they took it. Uh, and then he said a couple days later, uh, another one that he was watching sent an offer uh, to him also. And so it's funny that he was sharing that story because uh, one of my personal, uh, one of my close friends was telling me a funny story that he did exactly what I said. You know, he was like watching a couple guitars. He was interested on reverb. Somebody sent him an offer. It was really good. He took it. He was very excited to save the money and get the deal. However, a couple of days later, the, one of the other ones he watched gave him a way better deal. He's like, oh man, I should have waited. Um, but still he, he came out ahead, but the deals are out there. So the reason why I tell you that is that's also could be what prompts the scammers to come out too, because they know we're out there. They know the market's softening. They're like, they know that things are getting just a little weaker out there. It's a, for the buyer-seller market changeover, right? As the seller uh, buyers become more of a buyer market. And I think they're preying on that and seeing how, how gullible we are. And uh, let's face it, it's, uh, there's, uh, there's 700 guitar players sitting here watching this on Fridays. We're all gullible. We're guitar players. It's, it's part of the, it's part of who we are. So let's protect ourselves and, uh, and, uh, there you go.
Any other thoughts on that? I will uh, definitely come back and hit that. And we'll talk on that subject because, like I said, stuff like this I think is important. Um, so uh, Brad Guitar Miller says, worried about something I sold on eBay because the buyer only had three reviews and address was a business. Not sure about this one. Yeah, I, I well, you know, I'm, I was public when, you know, publicly you guys saw what happened to me when I did the great guitar build-off and we sold the guitar on eBay. And the thing that still bugs me to this day about that I mean, there's a lot of things that bug me to this day about that whole situation. But the thing that bugged me the most was when people were putting the offers on the auction on eBay, um, two of them were bidding back and forth like crazy. All of a sudden, they just started bidding everyone out. And I knew most of the people bidding. So, you know, when I saw the crazy bids, you know, $4,000, $5,000, I was like, whoa. But I knew those people. So one of them, you know, one of them is a, a good friend. Actually, he was one of the first customers ever came to my store ever. Like, I could say he was in the first five customers ever come to my store. And, uh, and so I knew he was, you know, legit. And I didn't know the other two and they looked kind of sketch, you know, their feedbacks were kind of, you know, I think they didn't have feedbacks. And I was like, oh, I don't, I don't trust this. So we reached out to eBay and said, hey, are these legit accounts? We, you know, we, you know, and eBay said, yes, there, you can trust this. This is what eBay sent us. It was, you know, probably auto message what it says. You can trust this because they're confirmed, confirmed addresses, confirmed buyers, and when the person who won won, what we found out was his address was a a shady, if they have anything worse than that, a shady hotel. It was like a little hotel in the middle of nowhere. And it was like a room number in a hotel. That was the address he used. And of course, it wasn't his. And so I'm like, so eBay basically told me to trust it, even though eBay obviously didn't have any real, real proof that it was a real address. So you guys got to be a little safe out there. I don't want to scare everybody into not buying and selling. We, we just need to be smart we'll be fine. You know what I mean? Just always take a step, take a breath, look at the situation, size it up, trust your gut. <laughs> right. Uh, and there you go. And that's the, you know, that's the perfect, perfect thing. The best advice I ever gave, uh, for buying and selling, uh, I'll give you again, which is, uh, you know, I told you when I want to buy something on Craigslist, when I buy from people, and even if it's virtual, like through this environment, I always tell, remind myself, I buy from the person, not the product. So when I'm trying to size up how legitimate the product is, I try to size up how legitimate the seller is. That will always tell me something more. So um, sometimes I'll, a trick, I don't, please don't use this in a, in a negative way, okay? Use it in the way I, I'm going to give it to you. One of the tricks that I like when I'm trying to sense a seller online, you know, because obviously I'm not meeting them, I'm not talking to them, is before I pour, uh, hit the the purchase button. Sometimes I will send a very innocuous, polite question like, Hey, that guitar definitely looks gold in the photo. I just want to confirm that it's gold looking or what, what do you feel about it? And if he, if I send that a question, I want to see how they react. And if they respond, react promptly with, Oh yeah, no problem. Look, I can even take a different picture for you if you're really concerned about it or yeah, I know. Let me let me confirm to you. It's more of a brownish color. I find that I can sense from them, you know what I mean, what kind of person they are in that conversation. I mean, again, this is not a guarantee. Nothing's a guarantee in life, but it will definitely it'll definitely uh, kind of ease my concerns and let me move forward if I feel I'm in that situation. So, all right. Let's talk about other guitar stuff besides this, since we've covered the potential uh, reverb 
disaster. Like I said, we'll be paying attention to this because if this is, is that was a lot of listings that I found and uh, I hope everybody's going to be okay. I deep down just hope that it's all legit. Uh, although if it is legit, it probably means the entire uh, European economy is collapsing as we know it. And uh, that's just horrible too, because uh, otherwise I don't know why they would be dumping $8,000 guitars that you could sell for five grand for a thousand bucks. All right. First question of the day came from Adrian who says, Hey Phil, which is a better financial investment? Hmm. Stocks, bonds, you say? No. He says custom shop Gibson or custom shop Fender. You know what I love about this question, Adrian? That's why you get a five star. I should get all like little stars, like teachers, little gold star. Here you go. Gold star, Adrian. Um, because he finished it with, or neither. The answer is neither. <laughs> Which is better, long-term financial investment? Look, I, I, I'm, I wanted to go for the joke. I hope you appreciate it. He said, a, he wants to know, what's a better investment with his dime, you know, so to speak? The Gibson Custom Shop or the Fender Custom Shop guitar? That's a hard question. You know what I mean? Um, and an easy question. So let me give you an example. Since you said the options, you're only, and for the record, for all of you, he's only giving me three options. Buy a Custom Shop Gibson, a Custom Shop Fender, or nothing. Well, nothing obviously will means he's invested into nothing. So, you, you know, that's always a safe way to go. I say, and I'm going to give you the best advice. Ready? Buy what you love. If you love Gibsons, buy a Gibson. If you love a Fender, buy a Fender. If you're torn between the two, I understand that, right? I do understand that. Maybe, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, you maybe need some help there, but don't worry about it that way. I would love to tell you that, hey, the Gibson will hold value better or the Fender will hold value better, but I don't want to tell you which one I think holds value better um, because I, I've I've learned when it comes to collecting or investing, especially in this arena, and this is the only arena I'm giving any kind of input on, is buy what you love and it won't matter. It won't matter what happens next. You'll have years and years of enjoyment and that will pay a dividend. I know it sounds cheesy. I know it sounds like I'm copping out. I swear I'm not. That's the same advice I follow. I buy what I love, even though sometimes I know there's a better purchase. I know it. There's certain things I know are a better guitar to buy if I care about you know, a dividend in the future. But I'd rather buy the thing I love and then, and then you know, hopefully have a dividend in the future. That's my two cents. Everybody else's sense will vary. <laughs> Happy Go Lucky says, can you safely humidify a guitar in a soft case? You know, it's a funny, that's a question I've never even thought I ever would get it before. Uh, I would say, I would say yes, uh, because look, when you're talking about using some kind of humidification in the, in the case or the gig bag, um, the concern would be, you know, like in the gig bag, it has padding and that the moisture might get in the padding and that could be, bad, but the cases have padding as well too. So I can't imagine it's much different. Um, I would say preferably you'd want a hard case, but only because that's what we usually use. Uh, but you gotta understand when you're using humidifiers, it's very little about a, a very little amount of moisture. I wouldn't worry about it too much. So yeah, I would say it's, uh, fine. Um, and he goes, uh, and then he has a little bit more. He says, are there better cases in general to use if you don't have a humidity control room? Uh, no, uh, just something enclosed. Just try to get, you know, because again, you just want a little bit of humidity. Uh, so it's not, you're not like a big deal. So yeah, I guess tossing a humidifier on the guitar and the gig bag would be, in my opinion, not much different than the case. I mean, I, I guess gig bags would vary as well. You know what I mean? But that would be 
my advice uh, not having any other information of like exactly what materials are being used. Um, I have no idea how to say Sparu. <laughs> Sparu. I don't know. Maybe I copied it wrong. Anyways, it says, uh, well, you know what? We'll just do don't talk to me. <laughs> don't talk to me, said Phil. Guitar Center has been posting wanted ads for me. No. Uh, <laughs> for a warehouse setup tech. Are they trying to be Sweetwater? Uh, will they fail? Thoughts? Uh, I have no idea. They might have had a, a setup tech in the warehouse all this time. You know, I would imagine that even Guitar Center, as stuff gets rejected or if they have issues, they have to have somebody there at the warehouse to take care of this stuff. So I would say, I think I have a piece of lint on my hat and it's driving me crazy. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I would imagine that Guitar Center already had that position. Now I got a piece of that dropped on my eye. Okay. Um, I would imagine Guitar Center already had that position. I could be wrong. I would imagine you would have to, at a, so a company that size, have some kind of support system that's taking care of that stuff. If they don't, obviously that's what this is. They're going to hire somebody to do so. Um, also, we don't know how many techs they're going to hire because that would be a, that would be the, t the tell. Are they going to be like Sweetwater? Well, they would have to hire quite a few techs. Uh, and they could be trying to be like Sweetwater. Look, they would be smart to do so, as I've pointed out many times. Uh, look, I always say this. I don't think Sweetwater is the best. I just think they're winning. And they're winning because they're trying the hardest and uh, when it comes to the Internet. And for the big box stores, not to take away from the small dealers. The small dealers, I think, have a lot to offer, and that's why I mostly purchase from them. But when we're talking about the big box stores, the Sam Ash, the Guitar Center, the Sweetwater, the AMS, all those guys, there's a reason why Sweetwater is growing the fastest. is because they really target the Internet in a different way than the others are doing. And uh, there's other things I like about each one of those stores. I've always said that. What I like about Sam Ash, what I like about AMS. And, uh, but... Uh, yeah, so if I was if I was gonna guess, uh, I would hope to think Guitar Center is gonna try to hop on that business model. I mean, that's just my thoughts. Um, it uh, it obviously would be a benefit to us to have a better better quality control, better things going on, and better for us because. You gotta understand, like I said, uh, Sweetwater obviously having having more competition, having people trying to do what they're doing would would obviously make them better at it too. Uh, yeah, Sean Brooks, uh, he's got a comment. His a comment, thanks, Sean. It's timed in perfectly. He says Sweetwater feels more like I'm buying from music store. Guitar Center feels more like I'm buying for Amazon. You know, uh, beautifully put, Sean, because I've always felt that Sweetwater, what they what they do that's to me that's so well is they are a big box store and again i'm that's just how i feel they're a big box store that has learned how to feel like sean said more like a mom and pop they feel the most mom and pop which is funny to me because i think a sam ash is the biggest mom and pop of all those stores but i think the most mom and pop feeling store is sweetwater they 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 come across and i feel the same way guitar center feels more like amazon to me uh, it's the same kind of experience. I click, it shows up. If I have a problem, there's somebody to deal with it. It's a, uh, it's a very, um, uh, you know, I don't want to say bland experience. It's just, you know, there's nothing to, to be there, have there again, not that I need anything more than that. I just, I agree with you. That's basically what I want to say, Sean. I agree with you. Um, Andy, Bra Andy, ba Andy, <laughs> Andy wants to say, Hey, Phil, have you tried the ultra Lux strat? I have not. I have tried the Ultralux Telly. It's downstairs. Uh, 
I'm trying to think. Is there going to be a video of it? If there's going to be a video of it, do I tell you what I think of it now? I won't tell you what I think of it now. Because <laughs> there's going to be a video of it. So you'll uh, you'll learn what I think of the telly. Um, Joe says, hey, Phil, uh, you've shown some great custom guitars lately. The Kiesel video was great. Thank you so much. And thank uh, uh, John for that, uh, for letting us... Uh, see his guitar and sending it to me so we can uh, check it out and do that video. That's always a cool, those are those videos uh, that I like because, you know, it's, it's exact answers the question that we all have. You know what I mean? What happens? Like I, I've, I've, I've talked to even close friends, close friends, which is more so than you guys, uh, even though your, your sentiment echoes my friends, close friends will say to me, like, what do you think of your Kiesels? I love my Kiesels. I mean, I absolutely love them. They're fantastic. And uh, and, uh, some were sent to me and some I, I bought, but all of them, they knew they were going to me and they've all been perfect. And I've been talking to friends and like, I'll have a friend and they love theirs. And I have another friend who goes, it's good, but I had to do some adjustments to it. I had to do this to it. And, and, uh, the question always like, well, I wonder if they gave you special service, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it was really nice, uh, to, to let me try one to see, you know, Hey, what do you get? And actually some of the comments in that video were interesting. We're like, well, I wish you wouldn't have picked the most expensive. Cause you know, John went crazy with the options and made it, you know, this beautiful guitar. Um, but I even found that more. So I, I kind of saw it the other way. Uh, it would be more so important to me that they do a good job on that guitar. And I don't look at it like, of course they would do a good job on the guitar. I look at it like they really needed to, if that guitar didn't hit it out of the park, perfect then what would be the point of buying the cheaper one, so to speak? And it, it was, it was ridiculously perfect. <laughs> it was a pretty, it was a, it, like I, I, um, there was two versions of the video as always. Sometimes the patrons get a, f a first version draft. Uh, something was removed and changed in a couple edits in the videos and expanded, of course, in the final version. And there's a statement in there that I mentioned that I, I didn't take it out for any reason. Just it had to come out for for the way the, the, the flow went. I mentioned at some point that uh, John's was way better than the ones of mine. And I, what I didn't like was the term I used way better. I wouldn't say it was way better, but it was better. So, because way better implies that mine weren't great. I think mine were great, but I think his was just a, just a little bit above. And if I could have refilmed that whole section, I would have just kind of articulated it like I just did with, with you guys. So, there you go. Okay. Um, and then Craig's question uh, says, hey, Phil, can you, can a guitar with slim vintage frets be refretted with medium jumbo frets and not have to address uh, appearance uh, issues, uh, basically with the finish? Uh, yeah, in fact, in my experience, it's always easier to do it that way. Uh, it's very, it's for me, I would prefer to uh, refret a guitar with either the same frets or bigger frets, uh, because again, it lets you hide some of the issues. You know, some, you know, everybody, the more you, the, the uh, to me, if you take out vintage fret wire and you put in like medium jumbos or jumbos, uh, it's a much easier, uh, <laughs> it's a much easier fret job uh, because of the fact that you're not gonna have to worry about filling any uh, kind of spots or redoing anything. You can really get away with a little bit more and move a little faster. So uh, Craig, yes, in, in my opinion, uh, from the experience I've done refretting, I would I would say it's not only easier, but I would prefer it if I could. Um, I've done, in fact, I don't think I've ever, uh, not because I you know declined anyone, but I I've never refretted a guitar going the other way. I've never took jumbos down to medium jumbos or medium jumbos down to uh, vintage fret wire. Uh, no one's ever asked me to do that. It's always been usually use the same or go bigger. So there you go. 
All right. And then this is the last uh, ones that I grabbed of the uh, pre-show. Uh, this is from Danny. He says, I just noticed my $2,000 Fender says Gibson on it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Danny says, I just noticed my 2000 Fender Ultra Strat says Corona, California, not made in Corona, California. After some Googling, I saw claims that Fender guitars are no longer made in America. Is that true? No, it's not true. So what happened was a few years back, uh, take us back, ish, because <laughs> I got to get, I got off memory and you could probably Google this better, but at least I'll send you down the right Google road. Um, I want to say 2015, 16, somewhere around there. Sounds about right. Uh, California passed some new laws and some of those laws basically, uh, the law basically said that if it's not 100% made in the USA, it can't say made in the USA. So what you saw was, I think, Seymour Duncan pedals immediately got put assembled in the USA on them. You start seeing assembled in the USA made on things, okay? Um, and uh, at that time, Fender, I noticed uh, Fender making the change. I was a dealer for Fender at the time. Fender made the change to Corona California on the back plates of the guitars, and they removed the made in USA tag uh, decal on the back of the headstocks, or actually at that time it was on the front of the headstocks, but they removed it. Now, I understand, and again, this is off memory, that California, because it was such a problem, you know, to, to adhere to this law, that California, I'm sorry, guys, I am, I have something, there, I have like a piece of lint, and it's driving me crazy. Okay, um, uh, California, I guess, La backed the law off a little bit and laxed it up a little bit is my understanding. And again, if that ends up being incorrect, that part being incorrect, I apologize. However, the secondary part doesn't matter, which is uh, even though I think Fender uh, is allowed now to actually say made in USA, I think Fender just said, screw it. We're already just putting Corona California. That's enough. And so, you know, this is a conversation that comes up a lot. I just recently reviewed a close guitar. That was a carbon fiber guitar. And that guitar doesn't say on it, but I asked the company. That was the longest, hardest video I've ever done on YouTube. Um, I can tell you right now, that video, I would never make a video ever again on YouTube if they were ever all like that. <laughs> um, it, was, uh, it was three and a half full, like 10-hour workdays uh, of of labor on that video and six edits and redos on the close video. And it was mostly because it was so hard. Uh, I kept sending versions to the patrons because it was so hard to explain some of the crazy stuff on that guitar. And one of them was the assembled in, in USA term and what that means. And so essentially for lack of a better way to explain it, the, the close guitar is, is assembled in the USA, but for import parts. So that's the way we landed with it, the explanation. Um, which to me is still confusing to say, because I don't know what that means. Um, when I looked up the actual laws on Assembled in the USA, that was actually uh, not confusing, but also it was, it was misleading. Essentially, the way I read the law, which is, again, not a lawyer here, um, it was a saying that basically if I buy a guitar body from China and I buy a pickguard, a pre-assembled from Korea, and I buy a neck from Indonesia and I put it together in the U.S., it's because it becomes what it is in the U.S., it can say legally assembled in the U.S., and even though nothing on the guitar was actually made in the U.S., and I reread and reread that and went to another site and went to another site, and I really believely, believe, believely, believe that's what it was saying is that's the information I got. So why am I saying all that? It ties back into this uh, California thing. The one thing I also figured out was, uh, which is something I already knew, is that when stuff's made in the U USA, it doesn't need to say it. <laughs> so if you make something in the USA, you don't even have to put made in the USA on it. You only have to put where it's made if it's being imported into the USA. 
So, uh, and uh, there you go. That's that's the answer to that. So to Fender, the, so my uh, great answer for you, Danny, though, is uh, the Fender is made in the USA. I can phys- I can tell you, I've physically been to the factory enough times. I've seen how they built a guitar. It's made in the USA. Uh, as far as as far as the rule of anyone else uh, being made in the USA, it's no less or more made in the USA. Actually, I would argue it's more technically made in the USA than a Gibson. And if you ever want to know why I think that, you can ask me. But that's what I think. I think a Fender technically is more made in the USA than a Gibson. So even though Gibsons they made in the USA and Fenders do not because of the California laws versus, uh, you know, where Gibsons are made and other guitars are made. Um, okay, so what... What's up, Doc? Says, what about the PRSS2? So, since that ties in, we'll hit on that too. The PRSS2s are made in the USA. They're not assembled in the USA. They're made the same. See, I I have a different opinion than most when it comes to the PRSS2s. Most people that I talk to will say, oh, the PRSS2s. I, what I don't like is they have import parts on them. Well, so do cores. <laughs> um, nowhere does uh, Paul Reed Smith Guitars ever claim that there's not any import parts on a core guitar they highlight that they there's cost cutting when they make uh when they put import parts like pickups in the s2s the main reason the s2s cost less than the cores is that they take way less time on the machines you can watch the factory tour it's jack higginbotham who's been on my channel many times he's a great guy he's the coo of prs he's who i listen to the most when when anything about prs because uh, I just like the way he talks and I like how he comes across and I know he cares. And so if you watch him, he'll be flat out tell you exactly what they did in that tour to get the cost down. And I personally, although I think the PRSs are beautiful guitars, a lot of the cost of making that guitar is to, for aesthetics, in my opinion. It's just made to make look good and I don't care. <laughs> so that's why I prefer the S2s. To me, the S2s are... Kind of like what Gibson does when they do a stripped down guitar. Same kind of same concept. It's just like, yeah, I don't care about how beautiful the top is, and I don't care about the little carves and intricacies that you're putting in here. Um, just give me the core of what I want. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'll I'll worry about that. And then pickups, that's up to you guys. Um, the issue is uh, if you say the pickups aren't as good as in the S2s, uh, I, I'm okay with that. Personally, the only thing I don't understand is when people say that the tuning keys or the bridges or anything. That to me, that's the same. In fact. I love it. People will flat out tell me <laughs> all the time, by the way, they'll say, oh, the S2 bridge is junk and the core bridge is great. I actually don't like the core bridge. I like the S2 bridge. And, but they'll say that no, not knowing, I guess, that if you look at it, like just look at materials, the John Mayer Silver Sky Bridge is essentially an S2 bridge. It's a steel bridge, not a brass bridge, which is what I prefer. So I don't know, the same. So the only argument for me on the S2s is what's really different, definable to me than the core guitar is the pickups, which even though PRS exp- pickups are expensive, you can buy a set, throw them in your S2, and you're still at a fraction of what a core costs. It's not an argument not to buy core. It's my argument of why I like S2s. Okay. <laughs> okay. We got to get to some other questions. What are we going to talk about? Now, somebody wants to know, what do we think of knitting? The Panda. What's up, the panda? The panda says, how do you avoid devaluing your guitar when you're selling it? I'm premature by prematurely lowering the price. I want my acoustics to sell quick 
and still get a fair price. Okay. Um, the Panda, here's my advice when it comes to selling your instrument. Uh, what I will tell you is this. If you do price it too low, you are not only going to lose out on money, you also are going to lose out on buyers because they're weary of that. As we just talked about, think about this, this whole conversation we just had about reverb and these pedals and guitars. What if it's real? And this, this people in Europe are just selling their expensive clones for pennies on the dollar. It, it could be real. So you got to understand you can make somebody a little nervous <laughs> selling your thing too low. So you want to price it a little better. Um, I find the, and again, everybody's going to have a different opinion on how they sell and how they buy, and no one's wrong it's as long as it works. My thing is to always try to find the right price. In other words, what's the most I think I can get still be uh, reasonably priced? You know, how do I get there and, and land at a good spot? Um, I always find, for me, and again, just for my personal uh, edification, so to speak, when I list something, if I get an offer, I feel like I failed. I feel like, I feel like every time I put a guitar out and it sells for that price that I listed, I feel like I, oh, I nailed it. That was the right price. Sometimes I, if it sells too fast though, I go, oh, it was a little low. But if it sells for the price I put it out, it means I nailed it. When I get an offer, especially in a lot of offers, I feel like, okay, maybe I'm priced too high or I'm priced too low because sometimes when you price too low, people, for some reason, they like, they smell the, the blood in the water, man. They're like, oh, if you'll go 300 for this, I bet you'll go too. And they're not wrong. That's usually a good, that's usually a good logic. If somebody's pricing something low, they're probably a little desperate. So the Panda, you want to be priced accordingly so you don't come across desperate. You don't want to be priced too high so they, they think about the fact that offering and working with you is just going to be a nightmare because you're priced out of control. But the only piece of advice I have, unfortunately, for getting the right price on your guitar when you're selling it is, you have to be willing to wait. You do. You just have to. You know, um, uh, panic will definitely, you know, a panic buyer or panic seller is, uh, is going to lose out. That's just how it works. So that's what I suggest. He had a follow-up question. He says, one of my favorite strap locations on acoustic. I like it on the upper bout, you know, basically exactly where it is on the electric guitar. And uh, I'll put it that way on my acoustics, except for sometimes tailors have the electronics in the front. So my tailors don't have the strap button there, but that's where I prefer it. I had a Alvarez Yeri and it had one there and I just fell in love with it. And I go, okay, that's where it's gotta be from now on. So I use a little block of wood, put it inside there, screw the strap button on there and uh, put strap locks on my acoustic. And why, I don't know, I just like it. Um, Antique Rocker says, will PRS become collectible like Gibson and Rickenbacker and Fender? So, and if so, when? He's got more to this question. I wanna handle that question. Uh, I already think they are collectible. Uh, for sure, there are collectible PRSs. I mean, there's, there's a, talk about like a, a funny story. There's a PRS I sold out of my store and it was like seven grand. And I remember, and, uh, I was talking with the person who bought it during COVID. So it was in the last two years and they mentioned it's worth 25 grand. And I go, ah, what? And I looked online and holy crap. <laughs> uh, and here, here's the thing about guitars. We talked about last week. If you want guitars to go up in value, stop making them. So when PRS stops making things, uh, perfect examples. Look at the PRS DC3 and NF3. Some of you guys are scratching your head right now. That was the guitar that's, in my opinion, slightly better Silver Sky than a Silver Sky that PRS couldn't give away if they tried. They even got Guitar of the Year at the NAMM show the year they came out. Uh, so if you look up, if you Google right now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google uh, 
PRS DC3, NF3. It's the same guitar. NF3 would mean have as narrow-filled pickups, little humbuckers, three mini humbuckers. DC means has their single coils, which that version of single coil is pretty ugly in my opinion. But um, it's basically the Silver Sky. It's a Strat. It was their version of a Strat. It didn't do well, except for now. <laughs> when they stopped making them. Now, now, like I remember you couldn't give them away for a thousand bucks, and now they go for two grand all day long. And uh, same thing uh, with the PRS Mira. I, as you guys know, I like the core Mira. And although uh, the S2 is nice and, and the SE is nice, I like my core one. And they stopped making it. And same thing, the, you know, picking one up for uh, nothing is a little hard now. Um, so things tend to do that when they stop making stuff. So that always does it. Um, other than that, it's time. And then, of course, a famous person using it. So uh, any, any, I don't want to really say whether or not well, I did just say whether or not PRS will be collectible. What I will tell you is any guitar company can be collectible. I think Ibanez is one of the most collectible guitars out there. When you look at 80s and 90s era guitars, they are crazy collectible. Um, more so than probably BC Rich, although I feel like as I say that out loud, it's not the smartest thing to say out loud because BC Rich are super collectible in that area. The the the, the USA made ones from that era. Um, try to find them. And when you do, they're a song. They're a song. Uh, so, you know, some people just, it depends, you know, so any brand can be collectible with those factors. Stop making it, the right people play it, time goes by, you name it. Uh, the second part of this question was, will Epiphone Squire achieve vintage status like Silvertone and Dan, uh, Dan Electro's? Or are they hampered by association with the parent? No, um, again, because I think so already they've, uh, Squire has, uh, well, Epiphone too, they have models in this, in their range, uh, you know, I don't know if I would call a Japanese-made Squire vintage, because but it's but it's definitely in that vein of a Dan Electro and a Silvertone and stuff like that, where people are definitely after them and want them. And so yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, look, I I really believe um, what I'm not a believer of the whole, you know, the two ideas, the two main ideas I always hear when it comes to this what will be valuable is always uh, only American guitars will be valuable. I, I find that's hogwash. And I always find that uh, the next generations won't value older guitars. And I find that hogwash as well, because uh, again, um, we don't know for sure what's going to be collectible, but what we do know is that if it's unique, if it's different, which is unique, if it's uh, hard to get, if it's old, it, for the most part, becomes collectible because that's how collecting works. People want stuff because they like it, and then if there's not a lot of it, they have to pay for it. I kind of feel like that was a dramatic pause for that, for that little drink right there. Okay. Uh, Meester says, happy KYG Friday. Any way we can save, repost the live chat comments? You should see the replay comments uh, when the show replays. I'll get to that in a second. Thanks again, uh, Phil, for providing a happy place where <laughs> it's a happy place. It's a safe place. It's a happy place. It's our place. It's a KYG place. That's, that would be an interesting shirt, which we'll talk about shirts too, because there's something funny. If you guys notice, the shirts are gone now. Um, happy place. Where can I, where I can nerd out with a community uh, and with integrity and humor? Uh, I appreciate the compliments, and I'm glad uh, to be part of the community and, and have you a part of it as well. Uh, that all being said, um, chat comments, uh, if you're curious, uh, when the video is replay, when this video replays on YouTube, the comments are intact. You can see the comments in real time with the video. And, uh, 
if you guys jump around a lot in this video, you will hamper the comments and you'll have to kind of, uh, you know, kind of re, um, what do you have to do? <laughs> refresh, sorry. I'm like, re something. You have to refresh your screen and to get them synced back up because you get them all jacked up out of sync. However, every once in a long, and I mean, it's a long while. So 160, 260 episodes, I can tell you it hasn't happened more than three times. And I think I'm rounding up. Uh, that you'll go and there's no comments in the in the video. That's because something in the video got altered. So I can edit the videos after they go up on YouTube, uh, up to 100,000 views. So like when you see a live show that has more than 100,000 views or just a video, you once it hits 100,000, YouTube doesn't let you uh, edit it. You can go and edit videos. You can cut things out and, and do stuff like that um, until they hit a certain point and then YouTube's like, no. Um, so um, if I go in and I take something out, like a, a, a section, um, what happens is the comments go away. You don't see them anymore. So that's why if you ever see that happen, and that's why I said it's only happened a couple of times, every time you could, could be exactly what you imagine, something happened that was uh, somebody said something or did something inappropriate that we just couldn't get a handle off of, you know, uh, off the channel. And it doesn't happen, thank God, very often on the channel, um, but it does happen. And, and again, it's always for the same reason. We just don't want anybody to feel excluded or, or anything like that. There's no reason for that. This is <laughs> all the places in the world you get treated like shit shouldn't be here. So there you go. I apologize for my words, but I wanted it to, uh, I wanted it to make sense to you guys. Um, and uh, so then that's some insight. And then since I kind of teased just now, the t-shirts used to be a see an icon on the bottom of all my videos where you could buy merch and that's gone. I don't think that's ever coming back. We, we, we got rid of that. And you'll see why eventually. You can still kind of buy t-shirts. I know because I saw a couple sell and I thought that was crazy because I was like, where are they finding them? So wherever there's old links or old things or maybe there's links, I don't know, there might be a link in this video because I copy paste them. I don't think so. But wherever you find a link, you can buy merch because the merch store still ex exists. But as a public store, we don't have any more for the new thing that's coming down the road. So there you go. Um, Steve, what does Steve say? Steve says, I found a deal on Reverb last week. I bought a new Charvel Sandemus HH humbucker, humbucker, ebony board, and Floyd that stays in tune. 20% off, new $800. I love it. Yeah, see, like I said, the deals are there. Um, I have since this year, uh, since January, I have bought three guitars and two pedals. And... I, I feel like that's the right number. <laughs> I know I'm looking at one right now. One's that uh, hollow body single cut PRS that's just beautiful. The other one will be here in a week. I thought I bought something else. I definitely bought a couple of pedals, all for a fraction of what people were trying to ask for them just a year ago. I mean, literally, uh, well, uh, the single body hollow body too, I bought it for half of what people were asking for it a year ago when I was trying to buy one. And, uh, and that was hard because not only was it double a year ago, I couldn't even find one. You know what I mean? You, you know, you, a double meant I found that j they just sold one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was too late. And so I'd keep waiting and waiting and waiting. And so there's definitely, and everybody I bought from so far, cause I kind of interact with them. Uh, no one seems that it's like a hard up for cash issue. It's always like a, yeah, I bought a lot of crap during COVID. I'm just thinning down. That's the number one comment that, that I see. Uh, just, hey, yeah, I'm thinning down some stuff, which makes sense. I thinned down some stuff. I think a lot of us, you know, hey, <laughs> you know, winter's over. <laughs> winter's over. Let's let's go outside. And uh, and maybe acoustic sales will jump up now that we go outside. And I don't know. Um, 
Don says, what does Don say? Don says, Phil, so right about Sweetwater. Oh, so right, so right. He's saying, Phil, so right. Like, I'm so right. So right about Sweetwater dealing a little bit. Texted my sales guy about a GNL Comanche, quoted $86 off. Two days later, all GNL prices went up 22% on the Comanche. Arrives tomorrow, plucked. Uh, great, keep it up. Yeah, see, did, did, didn't that feel? Did, I, I got to tell you, it's like a, <laughs> it's a weird feeling that I have, and I wonder if we'll share in this. You know, sometimes when you get a, a deal, you feel good because, you know, you saved money or you got something and you're like, ah, I didn't have to pay the right price, you know, and that feels pretty good. It does sometimes. It's not my focus, but it feels good. But nothing feels better than like when you buy something and then they up the price right afterwards. It feels good because for me, it's because it seems like it always happens backwards on that. It's always like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it. And then I wait and I wait and then the price goes up. And now all I'm trying to do is find it for the price I was going to pay just a couple of weeks ago or a couple months ago. And you know what I mean? And sometimes you get lucky and you do, and sometimes you don't, and you have to pay the increase. And it just bugs you knowing you're like, ah, oh, if I would have just pulled the trigger, I would have saved the money. And so I love it when I'm like that lucky one. It's like, yeah, I got it for the right price. And then they jacked up the price and you're like, ah, uh, they're like, oh, I missed it. Good. <laughs> uh, All right. Um, Matthew says, he says, so overselling. So he's so over it. Like, you know, I'm so over it, man. No, just, I know what you mean, Matthew. I just want them to know. So overselling on reverb. Buying isn't terrible, but selling has gotten to be a huge, uh, oh, pain in the ass. PETA. That's funny. Uh, so, <laughs> it's a very military thing to do. Give me a <laughs> an acronym. Um, anyways, um, yeah, it's a pain in the ass to sell on reverb. It shouldn't be. It just is. It just is. Um, you know, selling is a pain in the ass anyways. It's just always been. It's just, you're right. I think if you really like selling stuff, you, you have a little, you have a little, I don't know, a little aggressive nature. That's, you got to really like selling. You know what I mean? And it's a hard thing to like. Um, Robert says, Hey, Phil, worth it, worth it to spend money on an expensive amp as a pedal platform. Currently have a Princeton. I love it. Looking for a clean amp with effects loop, uh, where the sound come from pedal. Sure. Of course. Why not? Yeah. Look, man, I, I you know, uh, do you, do you need a expensive amp for a clean platform for pedals? Uh, no, but I mean, I like a good amp. So if it's a good amp, it's a good amp. I try not to think of it like this is an expensive amp and this is a cheap amp. I like to think of what amps are good and what amps I'm after. I know it's it's just the irony of this. A lot of the expensive stuff just happens to be really good. That's why it's expensive. But remember, a lot of stuff's expensive just because, right? It gets hyped, gets the right marketing spent on it. It also, uh, it's collectible. It's uh, It holds value. You got to pay for that. You know what I mean? Um but me, like I'm looking around the room and I, like, I, I, I think I've told you guys this. I have a two rock. It's a beautiful amplifier. I have a fender. I like the two rock. I bought the two rock, uh, because you know, it's a gear channel and you're like, okay, I'm going to try everything and put it in. Uh, as much as I can tell you is I like the two rock. I don't think I'd ever, if I stopped using it and switched to the fender, which is pretty much what I use anyways, I wouldn't be like, man, I'm, it's never going to be the same. It's just, they're both good amps. There's just something I like about one on the other. And, um, and that's, what's great about all this stuff that's doing that when I do these videos, um, 
is I get to try everything, which is nice, and then you get to surrogately see that stuff through you know through my experiences. Um, and my experience has taught me that not only is there this law of diminishing returns for sure, but there's really just things are expensive because they're just expensive. <laughs> and if you want them and you have the ability to buy them, then treat yourself. But justifying it, it's, I feel like that's a fool's errand. You know what I mean? I would never justify. I have a hollow body two PRS single cut. Why? Because when I went to the factory and I watched how they made it, I just thought that was so crazy how much work is involved in making that guitar. And that's why PRS takes forever making that guitar. Um, and because uh, it's a carved top. Uh, if you guys don't know about the PRS hollow body, the, the core, the USA one, that's a carved top and bottom. It's carved out like a bowl, like a wooden bowl. It's not bent top. So it's different, right? And uh, it's just, to me, it's, there's something unique and interesting about the guitar. And the fact that they stopped making the single cut, they don't make that one anymore, is another reason why I thought it was appealing to me. And that's pretty much it. After that, would I say it's better than the import SE? No, it's different, but better is not a word I would use by any means. It's going to go, it's going to be a cool piece of gear to have and play for for years, because like I said, it's going to retain its value of what I paid. And that's sometimes important, especially if I have to sell this stuff for college money. <laughs> Sorry, I just looked at college bills this week, so. All right, Robert says, hey, no, that's, uh, we already did Robert's question. We have Grumpy Mike Guitar who says, hey, I'm waiting for a 59 Les Paul for 1500 bucks. Cheers. <laughs> mm-hmm, yes. Yes. Well, according to Reverb, uh, you could have got one for 1100 bucks, a Tom, a Tom Murphy, a Murphy Lab, right? 1100 bucks. Were we, were we late to that? Uh, Damon says, Fender Princeton reissue. Notes on the E and the B spike loud, but hurts my ears on single coil and buckers. Amp treble zero. Uh, tone rolled off. You mean on the guitar, I assume? Uh, pain is in the upper mids. Could Jensen's speaker be the culprit? It's that amp. You, you have the Fender Princeton reissue. I assume you have the 65. I have the 68. It's a different animal. The 68's way more low end, way more mids, less highs, tames out, and it has a selection, which really cuts out the highs, too, on top of that. So that's why I like the Princeton 68. I like the uh, the uh, highs missing. One of the reasons is because is I don't use it so much as a out jamming amplifier. So I'm not trying to cut through a mix with it. And if I am bringing it to a jam situation, um, I'm in a situation where it's going to be fine. But, you know, in the room, it's just, again, opinions vary. But my opinion is at home use for me personal, I like the 68. Can you do, can you get this, the, the 65 to be like 68? The first thing would be the speaker. Yeah. I would definitely think about popping the Jensen out and putting a different speaker in there. That would be the first thing I would consider uh, for sure. Okay. Uh, Darren says, will there be another Joan Jet Gibson? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I know that if there is, Trogley will have the first video on it. Because <laughs> anything Gibson, he gets the... Um, Trog. I think, I don't even know if Trogley has a good relationship with Gibson. I don't know. So... I assume they like him. I don't, I would imagine why he, what, what, why they would have him on the don't, don't work with him list. But 
he usually gets whatever new Gibson comes out. He usually gets it. And I know most of the time that's his own, uh, 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 you know, his own initiative. He's just doing that. He's just working, working to get it. Um, but uh, sometimes, you know, when you're when you're lucky, like PRS, I have a good relationship with the PRS guys. So, you know, like the John Mayer stuff, if it comes out, you know, something comes out PRS, they're usually pretty Johnny on the spot to reach out to me in the first round draft of YouTube channels because because they know I like PRS guitars. Um, I know it's funny, even though I own more Gibsons than I own PRSs and I talk about Gibsons on more videos, uh, the Gibson guys just, just uh, you know, they don't see the channel. So we don't have that kind of uh, ability with them. Um so that's the main thing. Yeah, Brian's talking about he has contacts with all kinds of dealers. Yeah, of course. I, I think I actually have all the same dealer network he does. To say, but I, the difference is he buys and flips the guitars, and I'm not flipping the guitars. And I'm not going to go to that business model. I don't. Again, I don't want to sell guitars for a living. I already did that. <laughs> and besides, at this point, I'm just my whole life seems to be staring at a winder. That's I mean, that's what it feels like every week. Anyways, I just stare at the winder. Luckily, I don't count the wines. <laughs> I'd probably be crazy. Uh, Litface says, how do you prevent super glue from setting when not used much? Oh, yeah, yeah. When it's hard, hardened. Ah, you, all you can do is seal the bottle. Um, that's why I don't buy it in, uh, in you know, in bulk. <laughs> um, for, for, I would say for the average user, I would get a small, the smallest thing of super glue. It's just going to harden, man. I know it sounds like a weird question to talk about, but it's a it's a big deal. There's a lot of things so so you know that I understand. That's why I always tell you guys like I buy in bulk because I because of what I do. Like I'll buy like I buy a like music nomad polish you know in like that big spray ball bottle you know. But I wouldn't recommend that to you guys because it'll probably start falling apart after about a year and it would you know I don't know if you know it's any good or not. It might be. I don't want to say it doesn't work, but that's what it is. A lot of those materials if you don't use it, they go bad. So. Um, I have that problem. So, you know, so Litvay, don't feel bad. I, I buy my super glue um, from two different suppliers that, and I, the super glue I buy is a lot more expensive than normal super glue because I buy it in, I want to say in viscosity form. That's the way I like to say it. Although I have a friend who's a, a chemical engineer and he gets pissed every time I say it like that. Uh, <laughs> um, but what I mean by that is if you ever see in my shop, if you see the views of my shop, you'll see I have a row of like, super glues. I don't know if you've ever seen it. You, I don't know what you guys see in the background of what it's in the videos, but it's there. And the, what you're seeing is different super glues have different thicknesses. So I have different kinds of thicknesses for, for super glue, uh, for how I use it. And, and then I, of course I have the, uh, uh, the accelerant. I have an accelerant spray. Um, so there you go. Okay. Um, then we have Pedal I'm going to say Pedal Ah, Pedal That's it. Pedal who's in Arizona, says for the pedal jar. That's it. Uh, you know, it's funny. I actually have a pedal review coming this month. I'm very excited about that. In fact, I kind of have two. Kind of. I have one. Uh, I think I told you guys I was going to try to focus on doing more pedal reviews. And so trying to get one a month out. As you guys know, I, I, just, I just feel like that's the number. And I really want you to understand this. If I do, because I know, uh, and I really, really, really want you to understand this. When I say I do a pedal a month, I know sometimes I, I failed. I've never done that many pedal reviews. So you guys know, if you look at how many months I've been on YouTube, I do not have anything close to that in pedal reviews. So obviously I've never done one a month. The most I've ever did is 10 in one year. But 
Uh, I think it's actually nine, but 10. We'll say 10 in one year. So I'm trying to do one a month. But I really want you to understand the difference is, is I like the pedal channels. I watch them you know, a lot. I listen to like all kinds of pedal channels and watch them. But I find for myself, I just want to present a pedal that I really like for some reason. There's something about it that I'm just interested in. And the reason I mention that to you, to you is for one reason only. I find that it really is not something the pedal community, uh, pedal building community is something that this, that's not something they're used to hearing because it seems like, man, I can really get them touchy <laughs> when I kind of talk to them like, yeah, this is good, but this isn't going to be the one I'm going to review. You know, and I say it very nice, but you get the idea. So, um, but there you go. So like I said, there's a pedal review this month. So look for that. ER Webster says, okay, what is the 2X P90 Tele type in black and red? I don't recognize it. What? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was like, what? What are you talking about? Hold on a second. Let me share with you. I'll share. So if you guys remember, I did a video called uh, 50... 50 guitars in all 50 states where I highlighted different builders from each states and uh, did stuff like that. And I had a couple uh, a couple positive and a couple negative experiences from that, as you always have, you know, right? Hey, when I say negative, just, you know, not, not great. Uh, share with you. Uh, so Belltone is what that is. So what you're looking behind is a Belltone guitar. Um, the owner of Belltone, Stephen, uh, reached out to me. He was one of the ones that reached out and said, hey, I really like uh, what you're doing on the channel. And I like to get some guitars on the channel. And uh, he sent this guitar. And um, this guitar is going to be in a review. You're going to see it in just a couple of days and one of the deep dives. Um, he's doing some really interesting stuff. If you guys want to check out his website, you just saw it was Belltone Guitars and uh, check out what he's doing. And um, so that's what it is. And I thought since it's going back on Monday, it's got to ship out Monday because it's got to go back because he's got it needs it for the NAMM show. And... Um, I'm sorry. Let me go back to my main screen. And uh, and uh, what I like about this is, is this is definitely one of those I want to you know try to highlight as many small builders as possible, or the smaller builders as possible, and uh, try to work with them. And uh, so that's what that was. And he was nice enough to come in and and, uh, and make that happen. So I, I appreciate that. And um, like I said, I think you'll enjoy the video. I promise. I think it's one of my more favorite of the deep dives. I can tell you this, um, I, I, I take notes and I have these long, like I have a spreadsheet and I put all this information when I do a, a, a review and his hat was the longest I've ever done <laughs> because there was so much information. Uh, he even wrote me, uh, or I typed it, I should say, he even typed me like a four page letter that was really intense and really good, uh, where I got a lot of information. And if you notice, I'm like, I was, even me, I was like a little intimidated, like, man, this is like a book report. I'm going back to school. Um, but uh, but, uh, uh, it was so helpful to him to give me the backstory and the back, uh, background on this. And there's so much stuff going on. In fact, um, just ER, just cause I know you build guitars and you're, you're, you're out there doing stuff and I know you're working on your great guitar build off, uh, uh, build. I saw the first video you did. Um, I'll tell you what's really cool. I'll, I'll leak it to you about that guitar. 
Um, what was really interesting about this guitar is he uses a lot of uh, TV Jones style pickups, and those are T90s. Those are the TV Jones P90s that are TV Jones P90s that are space are the size, not space. They're the size of TV Jones pickups. So it looks like P90s. It looks kind of narrow, like a humbucker. So well, look at this. You can see the. For those that aren't watching and listening, I'm pointing at a guitar with full-size P90s, which are obviously look substantially about a half inch longer on each side, so an inch longer altogether. altogether. So very cool. Very uh, cool, uh, very astute of you, ER, to pick up on that. And uh, I also think it's really interesting, ER, because you're building guitars now. It makes me wonder if why you, you saw that, because there's a lot of beautiful guitars behind me today, but that's one of the few that's like a, a real you know builder built it versus a lot of these are just mass-produced uh, guitars, you know, not all of them. Obviously, the Valiant's a, more of a handmade instrument too, but a lot of these are mass-produced instruments by the factory, so interesting that that one kind of piqued your interest. Trucker Cowboy Ed says, Hey, Phil, just pulled the plug and bought a Les Paul Gold Top, and I'm excited to have purchased a my first Les Paul Standard. Have you tried the Gold Top? I have. I have a Gold Top. I've owned so many Gold Tops. <laughs> Um, I have, I have two videos. Uh, so I bought a tribute gold top in one of the videos where I did the same video. I'm just telling you a trucker, a cowboy. So you can check them out if you want. I did a video where I bought a gold top for my anniversary. I don't have the guitar. My buddy Joe has the guitar. Um, I traded it to him for my Ibanez gym that I still have. And, uh, it was a great trade. My wife was totally behind that. Um, and then I bought a, a Gibson Les Paul gold top standard that I got such a stupid smoking deal on that guitar. Talk about pre COVID days. I can make y'all vomit. I walked into guitar center and uh, I was in there for something, and there was this Les Paul Standard gold top hanging on the wall with case, looked brand new, and they wanted twelve hundred or thirteen hundred bucks for it, something like that. And I go, oh yeah, I'll just buy that. So I just bought it. And then what happened was, a year, obviously a year later, because it was right before COVID, and then during COVID, uh, my buddy Ralph was like, I think I want to buy a Gibson gold top Les Paul, and I go. Well, there's one upstairs that I paid almost nothing for from Guitar Center. Go check it out. So we went and checked it out. And he, and he goes, I like it. I said, okay, it's yours. Just pay me what I paid for it. And he's and he was like, oh, no, you can make some money. And I go, no, when I bought it, I kind of just bought it because, I, you know, so the deal was so good and it was right there and I could try it and play it. I knew what I was getting. I go, you know, I just knew if I bought it, there would be a reason for it. And that was the reason. So, but I still, still currently have a Gibson Les Paul Standard as well in Gold Top. Love Gold Tops. Congratulations. There's just something... Like I said, I've said it so many times, I stick with it. There's Epiphones, I love them. I love the Sires, I love his guitars, but there's just something about that mystique that Gibson can spin on their things, this whole historic thing, it's all history. There's something to that. Um, uh, so, there you go. All right, Jeff, I have a gift for you. How do I get shipping info? Uh, you, we used to have it public. Uh, it's on the Blackstock website. If that helps you, Jeff, I can send it to you. Um, if you, if you reach out to me, uh, you got to put in there, you know, that it was from the show or something like that. So I know to sift through it and find it. But, um, also if you go to blackstockpickups.com, uh, pretty sure the address is on there. So you can ship right to that address that goes right to me. So, and it doesn't matter what, uh, you don't have to put attention or anything. Um, I, I, I don't ever really open or not open. I don't really get the packages. You know what I mean? So somebody does it and then, you know, they're on my bench <laughs> they go, this is what, what I have to open. So I'll get it. It'll come right to me. I'm not sure how they do it, but they always make sure that I get the packages. Uh, Joshua says, okay, <laughs> why is Fender more, <laughs> more USA than Gibson? 
Oh, you took me up on the offer, Josh, huh? Uh, Joshua, sorry, man. Um, so I said earlier, I said, uh, technically, I think uh, you could argue that Fender is more USA made than Gibson. Um, here's why. First of all, um, it's because the alder and the ash that Fender uses for the bodies actually come from the USA. So that's where they get their alder and their ash. They don't get European alder. They use the USA alder and ash. And they use maple necks. And some of that will come from like Alaska and stuff like that. But a lot of it's from Canada. But again, very close, right? And some maple in the US. But that's so their woods coming from the USA where Gibson's getting their mahogany, mahogany sapele. Uh, obviously, Fender does rosewood, of course, but you know, same thing with Gibson. Gibson will do rosewood, uh, ebony, uh, mahogany. Most all those woods are coming from somewhere else. So then you argue, okay, well, okay, the woods aren't from the USA. Not that that matters. I'm just giving you that that point. The, the Fender is going to use more USA made or USA woods, woods from this actual country, instead of importing them. Then if you look down, if you break down to component wise, Fender used more USA components than Gibson. Is uh, and so and if you look at it, it is, uh, here's why it's because if you look at the facilities, I've been to both, and when you look at what they manufacture in the facility, Fender to me is manufacturing more of the componentry in their facility than Gibson does, um, not by much, but a little bit. But then you add the wood thing in there, and there you go, and that's kind of why I think that's true. Um, and then, uh, um, Hold on. Sean's got a follow-up question to it about the Fender thing. Well, I'll go to that and I'll jump back. He says, hey, does Fender make the necks in Mexico and the USA? They do both. Uh, they're made both. So the Ensenada facility and the Corona facility uh, have a lot of duplicate machinery, and that's one of the machinery. That's some of the machinery they can do is duplicate necks and bodies. Now, I've seen them uh, in the facility send bodies, USA bodies, to Mexico. Uh, I, I don't think they ever send any of the Mexican-made bodies or necks to the USA. Not that I've ever seen in the... And I've only been in Sonata once. I've been to Mexico once, but I've been to the Corona factory, I think, three times total. So in different avenues of that. So that'll tell you that. Um, there's always, there's comments. I find that everybody's got comments. And the reality is this. Some of the comments that people say about what Fender does is true in the idea that they probably did it at one time. Some of them are true because they are doing it. That's the problem with a company that... Any company, as you know, they change policies. They change things they do. And over time, somebody will will go, okay, well, I know they do it this way. Well, they did, but they don't do it that way anymore. But that's the, the main thing. In fact, I was I was uh, showing my wife my green uh, Chicago Music Exchange limited edition green color SG that I have downstairs. And this is a couple of weeks ago. I mentioned this on the podcast a week ago. And I was showing her basically how I can't even – it's kind of funny. Like it's made in the USA, but then I was like, well, all the electronics were made in China. So I was like, okay, so all the electronics are made in China because it's all just a drop-in PC board, all this stuff. And then I was like, well, you know, and this component comes from here, and this component, obviously the woods come from there, and this plastic comes from there, and the, and this is where they buy the finish. And I was kind of funny, like, how, you know, how we get focused on where the things are made when it's even a gray area how much of this guitar is actually made in the USA. So... All right, but there you go. We hit that. We hit that question. Honda wants to know: Have I tried any Lucite guitars? Yes, I've owned a couple Lucite guitars in the past because I have tried everything at some point. I had a Dan Armstrong, which is the Ampeg one, and I had the BC Rich Trans Green Mockingbird one with the very hard to find one with the limited edition uh, Lucite headstock. So it was a Lucite body, Lucite headstock with wood neck. Uh, horribly stupidly heavy i just not my thing 
<laughs> I notice every time I see rock stars playing one of those things, it's a one song guitar. They are heavy, man. They are heavy. And so uh, that's it. Other than they look cool. I you know, you got a, a guitar that looks like it's glass. It's just heavy. Uh, and then Guitar Knot says, is Fender manufacturing amps in Mexico? Primarily in Mexico. I think only the hand-wired stuff, only the top tier of the stuff is made in the USA. Everything else will be done in Mexico for sure. And you can kind of tell when all, all that happened, too. You can see certain amps. Um, I believe, and again, I'm kind of kind of doing off memory now at this point. I think the real way to tell when it all changed was... I think, I think I remember Fender explaining at the factory that they don't chrome anything in Mexico. No, they don't chrome anything in the Fender factory either, but I think they send it out for chroming. And so if you look at like the Hot Rod Deluxe, it used to have a chrome top, and now it has a black top uh, for the, for, you know, the panel. The, that's when it goes to Mexico. I think there might be actually chrome ones made in Mexico, but they might have sent those, those chassis to Mexico. But yeah, this is the thing about Fender, though. They're they're using basically the Toyota efficiency system. In other words, they're trying to be as efficient as possible. So they use some some stuff made in the USA, some stuff made in Mexico, and there's a little crossover, of course. Like, I remember, if you look in uh, older Fender guitars, older USA and Fender uh, Mexican-made strats, you'll see all the guts are made in the USA. So the five-way switch uh, was made in the USA and all that stuff. Now you look in and all of it's made in Mexico, even if it's in the American stuff. So there's a little bit of that stuff. Um, yeah, Lennon says the Mexican names say made in Mexico on the back. This is true, <laughs> but um, it's not really that. There's more to it than that is what I'm trying to say, because there's when, how much of the crossover was being done before. All right. Um, Vim69 says... Uh, treat Mrs. McKnight to a little something for Mother's Day. Yeah, she's good for Mother's Day. <laughs> she's good. Yep. Uh, I don't know what she did. She bought a bunch of stuff. Uh, she's, uh, what do you call it? Uh, she's on projects. She's doing projects around the house. She's done a bunch of projects around the house. Uh, I have no say in that, which is fine. And uh, not, I mean, I don't want any saying it is what I'm saying. That's actually like, that's the benefit to me. I don't have to deal with it. And, uh, and uh, so I know um, sometimes when Mother's Day comes or something like this comes, uh, like birthdays come and stuff, I'll go, hey, what do you want? And she'll say, uh, and that's what she did to me for Mother's Day. She did, uh, she'll go, oh, you already, you already bought me a Mother's Day present. <laughs> I'm like, okay, good to know. So, uh, I, but I appreciate that, Vim69. I will tell her, so. There you go. Uh, Christopher Standard Time says, Phil, Merry Friday, considering a newer lace sensor, purple, green, light blue, burgundy, but there are a few demos of these colors. You and lace have history. I do not have history. I, yeah, I have a horrible history of lace. <laughs> not horrible. Um, I reached out to lace uh, for that same reason. So, you know, early, we're talking early channel days, uh, 30,000 subscribers for sure. I, I, I was a huge uh, fan of lace pickups. Uh, I, we talk about Scott Grove's channel. Scott's a big lace fan too, uh, mostly of the older ones. He doesn't like the newer ones. I kind of tend to agree with him a little bit on that. I'm a little bit more forgiving of the new ones uh, than he probably is. Uh, so if you're just looking for opinions on that, he'll give you some definite opinions on lace. But 
I'm a little more lax on the newer stuff. And uh, I, like you, went out and noticed that there wasn't a whole lot of videos on lace pickups. And so I reached out to them. And this is those days, you know, where the channel was small enough to where your approach was always like, I want to buy these things. I have a YouTube channel. I'm going to make videos. Is there any kind of accommodation pricing? All you're trying to do is get score a discount, right? So you can minimize the cost of doing the work because you're like, okay, the video is going to make $36. It's going to cost me $200 to buy the pickups. I'm just doing it to make this video. I don't know why I'm doing this because <laughs> we're all addicted gear nerds, right? And uh, they were not interested at all. And then a uh, funny story was... Um, and I and I uh, what happened was, um, they ended up later reaching out to another channel, and that's what the interesting part of this was. And it was uh, the other channel was like, okay, I'd like to get these. Uh, oh, I know what happened. I won't tell you the other channel because I, I wish I, I would have known this question coming out when I got their permission. Another channel has was having a custom guitar made and reached out to Lace and uh, said, hey, I'd like to put this custom pickup in the guitar by the way that guitar was featured in a prominent magazine it was like a big deal it was a big production and lace was like uh they looked at the channel and they basically said very harshly like nah you know what i mean well, i don't know what we get out of it and so they asked me what i thought the channel and they go hey what do you think about this and i go yeah the pickup cost them 28 dollars. they don't have 28 dollars to support this to get free advertising so what happened was when i was going into the nam show in the summer nam show 2019 Somebody from Lace walked up to me and said, hey, we'd like to work with you on your channel, not knowing all that hit, you know, that I'd already, and I, I said I wasn't interested. So that I'm telling that story. Why? Because that's some of the backgrounds and stuff you see here. I still support Lace uh, products. Like, in other words, I still show them on the channel and stuff, but, like, I have no way of getting a hold of them and doing things with them because they're just, they're not, they're, they're like, again, I've said this before, there's just certain companies that are just, they don't understand this market. They're not interested in it. They're not interested in us, what we're doing, hanging out, talking gear, showing stuff. This isn't what they find interesting or they they think, you know, I don't know. They think it's all Guitar World ads in magazines still and going to the NAMM show. That's what they think. And that's what Lace is. That's why they've been dying and dying and dying. In fact, I'm going to be truly honest with you right now as I always try to be. Just you mentioning them again, every time somebody mentions them to them, I swear, every time it's mentioned to me, I go, are they still in business? I don't even know for sure if I, is there anyone to reach out to. So there you go. Uh, Antonio says, thoughts on a Starcaster by Fender Arrowhead. I, no thoughts on that, man. I don't know. There's so many versions of the Starcaster that there's the original one, there's reissues there's their inexpensive line i just don't know enough to 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 talk about it any any depth i apologize no life reviews no life reviews says hey phil i'm a longtime viewer of the channel and i love listening to the podcast every week if i don't engage much just got if I don't engage much, I just got a new PRS Custom 2408 10 top in orange tiger, and I'm loving it. I don't know why I put a comma there. An orange tiger. It's orange tiger. That's my favorite color for that guitar. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful guitar, man. The 248. I have a custom 24, and I don't know why, but I kind of want the 248. But I got the S2 2408. Oh, it's just out of view where you guys can't see. It. Oh, you can. You can see the little corner of it. Look at that. There's a little bit of it. <laughs> um, and uh, 
I love the 24-8. I, that's a great idea. I love the dual coil splits. Okay. <laughs> uh, Anthony, I don't know if the question is for me, but I'm going to answer it. It says, do you like 65 Deluxe Fender, re, uh, Fender Deluxe Reverb Amps? It's in every video of mine. Do I like it? I like reviewing with it. I like it. It's a good amp. I mean, I really do. I really do like it. That's why I own it. But I mean, I really use it for the videos um, more so than anything else. I mean, I wouldn't get rid of it if I didn't make videos, but it's it's a great amp for doing videos. I think it's because, and I've said this before, it's such a common amp, even though it's on the pricey side, it's either your common, so you have a reference of it, or there's so many amps that are copying it, or there's so many amps that are close to it, like the Hot Rod Deluxe and stuff, where you can still get in that vein of... of you know, you have a, an idea of what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> Marco says, I didn't even know they still made guitar magazines. They do. You know what it is? Guitar magazines, you know, they are down. I mean, they're, they're definitely not what they used to be, but there's just something still cool about them and the idea of having tangible magazines, you know. That being said, I don't get them anymore. I always tell myself, I'm, you know, they have that 12, 12 issues for 12 bucks deal, Guitar World, and I go, I should do it. It's a buck an issue. And then I just don't do it. Maybe I'll do it. Maybe that'll be this year's thing. Okay. <laughs> so many of you guys reacted to the magazine comment. Okay. Just again, again, if you're putting anything towards me, put a con uh, question mark at the first. Lisa says, how long do you practice one piece until it's good or to the family revolts? Uh, you know, that's depending on who you ask. Uh, my family definitely burns out on hearing me play this stuff. Um, I play a lot. And uh, the problem is there's always, for me, there's always a, a difficulty of like, there's what I like to play and, and then there's like, okay, what will probably benefit this video better? And I have to spend some time, believe it or not, one of the problems is, and I don't, I've talked to so many guitar players that do this and the really professional layered ones um, don't seem to have this problem, but I do. And I found a few other guitar players have this problem. For instance, like I have a style of guitar that I like to play. In other words, there's a certain shape of neck. There's a certain type of guitar, certain tone that I gravitate towards and I feel at home. And if you give it to me and I play, I'll feel, I feel pretty effortless. I can give you a, you know, I can give you a, a you know, my best effort will be pretty good and you'll, you know, maybe I'll pass. However, certain guitars, when I get them to review, they're just, everything about them is not me, but I'm trying to translate to you guys, you know, so you have information, what the guitar's like and what it sounds like, and try to be more in the register of what that guitar is good at. And so our, the irony is that you end up practicing so much that week to make this video, to get this three minute clip of audio. At least I do, because again, I'm fighting it. Um, this neck carve is just different for me. Uh, sometimes you guys see me when I'm talking about the neck carves and th things, that's just a little tricky for me. Um, so when I practice, it could, it could, 
it can vary so much, but I can tell when my family's like burning out because it's not during the video recording. It's just during the week, just over and over again, over and over again, playing. All right, taking too long again. Let me start reading again. It says, what? Ha, <laughs> guitar habit said for the swear jar. Randy Crooks says, I just received an LPD 68. I just want to say I can't believe how much I love this pedal. Yeah, still one of my favorite pedals, the 68 and the 87. Those are the two I still use pretty predominantly. I find I use the 87 more now again. I, I flip-flop, right? I personally, 68. Like if I only had one LPD pedal, it'd be the 68. And I say this uh, often to friends. Uh, if I was gonna, if I only had one LPD pedal, it would be the 68. If I would recommend only one pedal, it would probably be the 87 because I think the 87 fits more people's needs because it has the higher gain. You could back it off. Where the 68, uh, only complaint I've ever heard from anybody from me is that it's just not enough gain. And to me, that's where I live. It's just in a low gain with a boost, and I'm just happy. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's still my. I still have my original 68 I bought from him when I first met him. And, uh, and then I use the 87 a lot if I'm, you know, uh, just trying to get a sound fast, a good sound, but yeah, great pedals. Obviously he makes great pedals. Double steps says, Hey Phil, I got a 2014 lemon burst, uh, ES three thirty five. Can I put round wounds on it without adjusting the setup too much? Also thoughts on the Nashville versus Memphis, uh, three thirty fives. I have no opinions on the Nashville versus Memphis. I, I really don't care. Um, uh, remember I don't, I don't really participate in the whole, you know, where thing, that uh, stuff. In other words, I, I just, everything is case by case for me. Which guitar do I like in this? And, and, uh, but on the round wounds, uh, what I can tell you is, can I put round wounds on it? Yes. Look, only thing you have to worry about is if you have a plain a G string and you switch to a, 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 a round wound G string, uh, you may have to adjust the saddle. That's basically it. The others probably won't need much adjustment. It's not very likely. And you might've meant flat wound. So same thing if you go flat wounds and back and forth. It's just it's just slight adjustment. But what's great is it's slight adjustment. And I have a video on how to intonate and, and it's like a three minute video. And for something like this, this is gonna fit your needs perfect. You're gonna restring it, tune it all up, and then check the intonation. And if it's slightly out, you're just gonna make a slight adjustment. Remember, intonation is slight adjustment. That's it. <laughs> it's a slight amount. Um, Uh, Trucker Cowboy Ed wants to know if I had to choose between a Gibson Les Paul gold top with P90s or burst buckers, which one I choose? I would choose the burst buckers. I love P90s, but I have P90s in a lot of my guitars. Uh, and um, I did have a P90 Les Paul and I liked it a lot, but I found that I like the P90s in the semi hollow. I like the P90s in the, um, I pointed at the wrong guitar when I did that, uh, in my telly. Um, I like the P90s in. Uh, my SG, you know what I mean? So I, I like those kind of guitars. The the Les Paul is great, but I don't really use it for the P90 sound. Voodoo Fist says, hey, Phil, I have a Strat and the action is a little low on the higher frets. Okay. Do I use the truss rod to adjust the action or the height of the screws? Sure. Um, well, remember, you use the train method, right? Uh, you, so you can go right to that video. But uh, if you're saying it's on the higher frets, your action is a little low, um, you've got to first check the relief on your neck to make sure everything's fine, to make sure you don't have an over 
bow on the neck. It's not back bowed, so, so to speak. That could be part of the problem. My guess is it's not because you're not only not complaining about the action being too low on the, let's say, the first, uh, you know, seven frets. Um, so I would say the adjustment off of what you just said is on the saddles. But again, there's uh, I have videos that will clarify that, and you can walk through it with you know where you can see what I'm talking about and do it versus this where I'm just kind of hearing what you're saying. But but that would be my that would be my guess based on the information you provided me. I see everything twice as Happy Friday. I have another pickup question. I have too many parts casters, and I was hoping to do something different with one. Do you know of a good bridge humbucker for a telly? Really enjoying the Northern Lights, by the way. Um, I'm glad you, I love the Northern Lights. Um, uh, like I said, I have them in almost all my guitars now. It's good. It's kind of funny. Like it just became this thing that overtook over the last few years. But um, for telly bridge, I mean, there's some fun ones. Like uh, here's a couple. Obviously, I like the Quarter Pounder by... Seymour Duncan's a great Telly Bridge pickup, man. That's a fun one. It just sounds amazing. Uh, in DiMarcio's land, I would go with like the chopper. Any of the rail pickups will give you that kind of kind of thing. Um, I really like the uh, Joe Barden ones are great. I know I'm giving you too many pickups, but there's just so many. That's what's great now. There's so many great pickups. I like the Telly Bridge pickups that are just there, man. They're here. They're here to win. And so something a little more powerful would be really cool. Those are the ones. Those are three right there, but uh, that I like. For sure. BRMR, BRMR says, I have a Charvel DK22 SSS single, that's three single coils for, for us. Low E only won't intonate until removed, until I remove the spring and push the saddle as back as far as it will go. Stud lock tight, neck straight, aligned in the pocket, pickup non adjustable. Any thoughts? Okay. Um, this is a, a thing I hear quite often, you know, people are like, oh, I could only intonate if I took the spring out and pushed the, the saddle as far as I go. Um, I find that, uh, again, I've said it in my intonation video, you pass the point. That's what happens. Everybody, I told you, don't use the logic of, okay, if you're going, here, here's what I'm trying to say to you. If you're going sharp and all of a sudden you're too sharp. You're, or you're going flat and you're too flat, I think your brain always says, well, then I can't go further forward, I can't go further back, or I'll keep going in that direction. Like I said, when you're at a point, and this is just, again, this might not solve your problem because it's I'm just giving you a suggestion. What I would do in your scenario, if I was backing the saddle on the E-string far back and to the point where the spring was compressed so tight that it won't move anymore, and my thought next is to take the screw out, take the spring out, and put the screw... My next thought would be to return it back to measure exactly 25 and a half inch scale from nut to the, the beginning of where the saddle, where the string is, uh, where the string comes off the end of the saddle. And I would put it back to 25 and a half inch scale exactly. And then I would tune it up and I would then start the process over again. And if you get there again and the spring's compressed and you're in the same, so I would do it one more time because sometimes you're just missing, missing it by a spot. It happens all the time. So that's just something I would suggest to you. Although, like I said, that, you know, your situation could vary. Again, we're not looking at it together. I'm just listening to what you're saying. Uh, Pay Every Day says the DK uh, sounds like the studs are leaning forward. That could be too. The angle of your bridge can be all kinds of wacky. Like I said, that's what sucks. We could all, we're all going to play the guessing game forever uh, <laughs> on this. There's so many things that go into that more than, 
more than just the adjustment of the saddle. But but that's why I said take it back to the to the twenty five and a half and start again. Uh, Mark asked me if I had a chance to check out the new Seymour Duncan in the pickups. Seymour Duncan has a new line of pickups. They're not new though, right? They're essentially, they're inspired by artists. Like, like I think one's the 78, which has been, I think, which has been a pickup they've been making in the custom shop for years. Um, Seymour Duncan does this, uh, quite often over the years where they take a pickup they were only making in the custom shop and then they make it available as a production pickup. Um, I saw the announcement of the pickups. I have not tried them. If it is what I think they are, I think I already have them because I have a couple of those custom shop pickups already down in the shop. Okay. Hold on, I'm just looking for some comments, questions, or subjects. Give me a second. Hey, produce like a pro's here. <laughs> What's up? All right. I know it's going so I'm feel so quiet as I'm reading. Let me go back and jump back and forth. Like I said, I try to find the questions in, the, in between the super chats. Ben says, all right, Phil, uh, we're all dying to know who your favorite Spice Girl is. I don't think I can name any Spice Girls. Isn't that funny? I swear to God, I bet you, I, I bet you, I'm not even right close. Like I know they're all spice, right? But I have n no concept of them. <laughs> None. I'm trying to get one, right? Yeah, I literally can't name one. I'm sure one will hit me like in a little bit, but I can't think of a single spice girl other than they're all something spice, something spice. So I, I feel like I disappointed you. <laughs> Michael wants to know, how do you dial sizzle out of a metal distortion? Um, well, metal distortion, we talked about this before, about how you can back up your volume. Obviously, um, you know, not looking at the rig, we don't know what, what speaker you're using, what you're doing. But what I will tell you is, obviously, bringing the gain back a little bit is going to help. But also, the type of pedal or distortion or amp, the metal distortion. Some just have more sizzle in them. and just, uh, Like, to me... Uh, you know, if you're going to play a 5150 amp, it's going to have sizzle. And if you're going to play a Marshall, it's going to have the crunch factor more so. Kind of. Some Marshalls will have the sizzle, sizzle too. But so you can dial it out. But usually, mostly the time you're going to dial it out using the gain control. Um, I will tell you this. It seems like every musician's goal is just to take the distortion to 10. And I find that's where the mess up always happens. Always oh, start with it lower and bring it up. Jay says, any other manufacturers with next comparable to Ibanez Wizard? Other than Ibanez and their very limited lefty section, uh, not easily being a lefty. They're, they're next. The Wizards are so thin, man. I don't know why. Uh, they're so thin. Uh, when I, I can think of a ton of companies that are close, and they're going to feel like that. I mean, even Schechter has the SLS uh, series, which is going to be thin, but not like the Wizard thin. 
it's silly. I always describe the wizard neck on an Ibanez as, as playing a row of salting crackers. It's just it's just silly thin. Um, but I mean, even the Jacksons are thicker. You know, sometimes the Solus will get thin. I mean, there's. I'm trying to think if there's anyone. I, that's kind of their thing, just being that super super thin. There are a lot of thin necks, but Ibanez is definitely the crazy thin ones. Um, I have never tried the Kiesel thin neck. I always do the Kiesel standard neck. I don't know if that's thin. I've never tried it. Of my own personal guitars, because I own quite a few Ibanezes, there's nothing I have that's as thin as the Ibanez, uh, if the wizard style necks. It's just crazy. And I don't think I've ever, I mean, other than random things, I mean, there'll be a random brand I've tried here and there, but there's nothing sticking out to me as like, wow, it's the same thickness, which is super thin. I think the Ibanez Wizard is like 19 millimeters at the first fret. I'm pretty sure that's right, which is just crazy. Uh, Johnny, Johnny, the owner of the beautiful Kiesel guitar, he said thanks. Uh, he's supporting the cause today. I appreciate that. And Okay, hold on. RRD says, you know, it's funny. I'm still thinking about that. He's asking me what's, he's like, we're talking about, I still think about the Spice Girl. I was kind of hoping some of you guys would throw some Spice Girl names out. Andrew says 17 millimeter. That might, you know what? That might be the super wizard neck. You could be right either way. It's been a while since I've actually measured the, the uh, wizard neck. I thought 17 millimeter sounds maybe right too. I, I know they make a super wizard as well, which is crazy. Um, I know I have that somewhere in the case area where there's guitars. We have a super wizard. Uh, Ibanez. It's blue with yellow pickups. Oh, you know who my favorite Spice Girl is? It's Old Spice. <laughs> That's my dumb joke I just made up. Um, okay. <laughs> so you guys is... Uh, all right. Oh, Posh. Thank you, Amanda. See, Amanda was Posh Spice, right? So there's Posh. That's what I was thinking. If you got one name, what I get? Scary Spice, right? See, you guys are giving me wrong answers too, but I think I'm I think I'm getting the right ones. I think it was Posh Spice, Scary Spice. This is a dumb thing to talk about, but I'm just like I said, I can't believe I don't know because they were such a thing for a while, right? Like I remember they were huge. They were everywhere for their, for their moment, and maybe they still are. I don't know, um, but. Uh, you know, I never, I never thought about it, but it's like funny when stuff like that goes away and then you're like, oh, I can't even remember it. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, oh, by a baby spice. I think that's another one right too, right? Am I getting this right? So there's four of them. So is it baby spice, posh spice? Scary Spice. I don't even know. <laughs> I've given up. Okay. Uh, um, 
Okay. Hold on. We need another question. Let's get back to guitar stuff. Um, I'm going to try to look for one more guitar subject. And I might even have some from earlier, too, that I didn't get to. Hold on. Hmm. A lot of you guys keep asking me what I think of P90 guitars. Uh, I mean, a lot of it. I see that question a lot in different forms. Hi, Phil. What do you think of P90s? Hey, Phil. What's your favorite P90s? Um, I like P90s. I use them a lot. They're in a lot of my guitars. I, I really, really like them. I've always liked P90s. There's just something about them. Um, in fact, um, I think I talked about this. The whole concept behind the the single coil copper headset, the pickup that I put in the bridge of that, of that set is to get, to do something that I like that a P90 does, but still not do a P90. Cause a lot of everybody's kind of fix for getting you that punchy P90 sound in a Strat is to make a Strat pickup, a P90 sized Strat pickup. You know what I mean? Just make it do that. And I didn't want to do it that way. So I did it a different way and it, it works. It really works. I like it, but it's does the P90 punch, which is what I like in a bridge. I really like P90s in the bridge, man. They really are great. Uh, Don wants to know what's my opinion of the Vega system, the Vega trim system. I've done a bunch of videos. We did a couple of sharp my axes on them. I put them in a couple of guitars. I put one in Marty Schwartz's guitar. Um, I have one in one of my strats. I, I really like it. It's a really good bridge. Man, when you guys get a hold of something, you don't let go. It's just all spice land. <laughs> uh, 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 I'm going to probably leave just so I don't have to be part of the Spice Girls conversation anymore. So, um, uh, uh, Sirius wants to know if I've ever tried any Eminence Cannabis Rec speakers. I did. I had, uh, I've owned a couple Cannabis Rec speakers over the years. I like them. Punchy, full, big sounding speakers. Um, I, it was, I never made like a conscious decision to get rid of them. They were just in a combo I had and I liked them and, but I didn't keep the combo over time. You know, I probably had it for about eight years and then it was gone. So. Steve says thoughts on <laughs> thoughts on the Harley Benton 212 going up to 225. You know what's funny is I tell you guys all the time when sometimes when you ask me about tell me something about a price I'm always in shock. I'm in the shock the opposite way. I can't believe it's only 225. Uh, when you said it's going up to 225, wasn't it 200 bucks when I reviewed it back in 2019? I mean I'm pretty sure it was 199 in 2019 when I did the video. So I would I was I assume it's 300 bucks now. Those videos we talk about. Uh, we talk about going back in old videos and changing uh, titles and stuff because it's like it doesn't make sense now. You're like, oh, this guitar is under 200 bucks, but none of those guitars are under 200 bucks. Um, but we haven't done it. I think I mentioned this before. I don't do the thumbnails and the titles anymore on the videos. I'll, I'll sometimes I do the I say I do the live shows because I kind of do. I make usually you'll see a couple of versions of everything on the live show. I put out the first one and then it gets edited and changed. But it's the only thing I don't do anymore. I do everything except for titles and videos. So, uh, and uh, so that's the conversation was going back and changing titles like that. But 
So yeah, I'm shocked. Two twenty five for a for for a two twelve cabinet this seems cheap in this market. Okay. <laughs> Man, all right. So on that note, I think I'm gonna let you guys go. I think we've covered all the Spice Girl stuff, which is important <laughs> that we do. And I think it's important that we do cover all this Spice Girl stuff. Let me double check. Music Therapy Les had a, had a question, uh, comment. I'm going to hit it. it. says, oh, you answered my question on the Fender amp. I no longer have gas, but now I suffer from, uh, yeah, he's talking about Dave Nesdell. Rest in peace. I didn't. I, I plan not to talk about that until I know it's okay to talk about that. Um, for those that know what we're going to talk, we're talking about, you know, and if you don't know, you know, we'll talk about it when, uh, when you lose someone, uh, I'm very sensitive to that. So, you know, um, I've lost a lot of people. I'm sure a lot of you have lost a lot of people. I've lost a lot of people. I'm basically an orphan at this point in my life with my family. There's pretty much nobody alive in my family anymore. And, uh, and a lot of people outside that, a lot of friends. So, um, I've been around it so much. I've kind of learned, unfortunately, the etiquette of it. And so I kind of stay away from talking about it until I know it's okay for everybody else. Um, and, and, uh, but, um, yeah, it sucks. So on that note, we'll call it a night because uh, we're not going to talk about Spice Girls. And <laughs> so we'll talk next week about guitars. So anyways, re reminder one more time, guys, just because I want to talk about it. Just uh, if you came late to the show, definitely watch the beginning of today's show to see about what's going on with Reverb. That was a big deal. I don't know if that'll be the title of the show. I don't know because, again, I don't handle that. But I would hope it will be. Uh, if not, just remember that was something we covered that was important. And as always, guys, I want to thank you for hanging out with me every Friday, talking guitars. Spice Girls were a little different, but, hey, it happens. <laughs> We talk about that too. Uh, look for this week's videos as always. And, uh, and, uh, I will talk to you next Friday. All right, guys. Thanks for your time and know your gear. <laughs>